Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Hidden Signs. I'm your host. My name is Jeff Murray. I'm a professor of marketing at the University of Arkansas. So far, in my podcast episodes, I have emphasized the way cultural forces give rise to science systems. These science systems influence our behavior, whether we are fully aware of them or whether they are hidden. Hidden signs may be pre-discursive, meaning that we don't know that they are there, so we don't talk about them. This was a key theme in the last episode. We learn science systems, they influence us, but this learning is so subtle, so deep, we don't even know that we are learning. This is socialization. Now, you have probably noticed that we have been emphasizing the abstract, interpretation of the symbolic, pre-discursive understandings, and cultural forces. Most of this is intangible, invisible, taking place in our minds, imagination, reflection, and thoughtful contemplation. Rain Descartes was a French philosopher born in 1596 and died in 1650. Although a native of the Kingdom of France, he spent nearly two decades of his life in the Dutch Republic. Descartes is one of the most notable intellectual figures of the Dutch Golden Age, and he is widely regarded as one of the founders of modern philosophy The way a modern university is organized, what we emphasize, the arrangements and topics we regard as important, is largely the result of how we started this journey. Descartes had a huge influence. He would be happy with our approach to sign systems so far. Cartesian logic is all about thinking, the mind. I think, therefore I am. But what about the body? After all, consumers have bodies, and these bodies move through space. When we refer to behavior, more often than not, we are referring to action. Consumers moving through space and doing something. So, in this episode, I still want to think about hidden signs, but in a different way. I want to talk about the complex interaction between sign systems and bodies. Think about how it feels to move through space, weaving in and out of society. If our movement was tracked as a line, visible from space, you could see our path, connecting points in society, entangled with other lines as we interact with others, creating complicated knots. These knots, taken as a whole, is another way of conceptualizing culture. The point is that bodies are designed to move, not just think. So we need to take this into account. They are also designed to feel and react. We have a built-in sensitivity to the environment we inhabit. Think of our cell phones vibrating in our pocket, or how the sound of a voice changes when a secret is shared, or an autumn breeze caressing our face on an early morning walk. 
or the passage of time day to day, light and dark. I want to begin with an initiative from Volkswagen. This company embraces an approach to culture and consumption they call fun theory. Volkswagen went to Stockholm, Sweden and selected a flight of stairs directly next to an escalator. They set up a hidden camera and filmed people coming and going. The researchers were not interested in thinking or interpretation. Descartes would have been disappointed. They were not interested in the mind, just observing bodies moving through space. In this context, people had a choice. They could take the stairs or the escalator. The researchers noticed that, although it might be physically and psychologically healthier to take the stairs, everyone rode the escalator up and down. The escalator was always crowded, and the stairs were always empty. Then, they asked the question, how do we get people to take the stairs by making it fun? Working with a group of engineers and designers, they turned the stairs into a giant piano. When someone touched a stair with their foot, which was now a piano key, it sounded the appropriate note. So, one could actually play the giant piano and make some music by taking the stairs. Suddenly, to their happy astonishment, everyone started taking the stairs, making music, and some people actually went up and down, over and over. People were getting some exercise, smiling, expressing happiness through laughter, and engaging their environment together. A feeling of carefree solidarity. This is what I mean by bodies moving through space. We are sensitive to the feel of our environments. Sometimes it takes a disruption before you even realize that the environment is there. The immediate architectural environment can be so taken for granted, it is a hidden sign. Volkswagen found that 66% more people than normal chose the stairs over the escalator. Clearly, design of the environment and movement is linked. We stand in a systems relationship with the environment. We are part of it. The grandmother of performance art is a Serbian artist, Marina Abramovic. Her work explores the relationship between the physical environment, culture, movement, and the body. One of her most famous exhibits is entitled, The Artist is Present. In this exhibit, Abramovic sits in a square drawn with tape on the second floor atrium of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Bright theater lights shine on her sitting in a chair, and a chair opposite her. Visitors to the museum wait in line to sit individually across from her, maintaining eye contact, both perfectly still, for as long as they want, maybe an hour, maybe a day. Abramovic is trying to create a disruption that triggers reflection on the importance of body and movement, 
all of the things that Cartesian logic ignores. After this experience, Abramovic reflected. For eight hours, we would sit across a table from each other in chairs that were neither too comfortable nor too uncomfortable and look into each other's eyes without getting up, without moving at all. Sitting unmoving all day sounds simple, but it was anything but simple. At our first performance, we found out how hard it would be. The experience is indescribable. The pain is a huge obstacle. It comes like a storm. It becomes so intense that you think that you'll lose consciousness. I know by now that no position is more comfortable than another. Even the most comfortable position after a period of time would become intolerable. Abramovic's performance art, along with the staircase piano experiment, is more generally a part of an area of study called kinesics, which means movement. And this movement is always in relation to the science systems surrounding the body. Think of a grocery store. Its grid-like structure is almost militaristic. Vertical aisles, up and down. An interior designed not for aesthetics, but for efficiency. Getting in and out. Cost-effective and energy-saving. Compare this with a department store. Here, wandering around, exploring, discovery, and getting lost is an important part of the experience. So, the interior design is rounded in circles, more of a labyrinth, an elaborate maze that is conducive to finding something special. These designs, the width of the aisles, the lighting, the colors, the sounds, the temperature. Architects refer to this as ecological psychology, and marketers sometimes refer to this as atmospherics or experiential marketing. These ideas draw attention to a hidden world of signs. One of my favorite anthropologists is Edward T. Hall. In 1966, he published The Hidden Dimension, a book about the temporal and spatial dimensions that surround us. This book gave rise to a new theoretical tradition called proxemics, the study of the human use of space and movement. In fact, kinesics is part of proxemics. Everything that I've been talking about in this episode, the relationship between movement and the environment, is unreflected, or what I have been referring to in earlier episodes as prediscursive, meaning that it hasn't been raised to a level of awareness. In this sense, it is hidden, hidden signs. Here is an intuitive example. Before the 2020 pandemic, personal distance zones were hidden signs, defined by folkways, something that I discuss in the third episode on culture. For example, when talking to a friend, if you take a step toward them and violate their personal space, they will probably take a step back without thinking. Or, if you take a step back and increase the personal space, 
they will take a step forward, re-establishing a comfortable distance zone. Hall discovered that these distance zones vary across cultures, and violation causes a range of reactions from laughter to aggression. Now, the pandemic made distance zones visible. They are no longer part of the hidden dimension. They are now reflected, not pre-discursive, but discursive, made explicit. Since they have become linked to health and survival, we talk about them. Interestingly, this is exactly what Abramovic is trying to do with her performance art. When the normal or natural is disrupted, people begin to think about it and ask, why do we do this? Asking this question raises awareness and is often an initial, yet necessary step for social change. A second hidden dimension that is also part of proxemics is haptics. This refers to technology that communicates with the user by sense of touch or vibration. A great example of this is your cell phone. Here, haptics is used to enhance the experience of interacting with a device that connects you with the rest of the world. Or, as a second example, think how odd it would feel to be riding in a car and not feeling any vibration at all. You would think, something is wrong here. It is amazing how a vibration, here or there, can change the experience. In fact, Haptic theory has become a key dimension for video game design. Whether it is the virtual reality of snowboarding down a steep slope in the Rocky Mountains, or shooting your way out of a tight circumstance, haptics can extend the narrative beyond the graphics and audio. In Steven Spielberg's 2018 film, Ready Player One, People enter an immersive world of virtual reality called the Oasis. One thing that was most gripping about this experience was not so much the VR goggles, but the engagement of a sense beyond sight and sound, touch. Characters wore gloves with feedback that enabled them to feel the world around them. They could even upgrade to full body suits that reproduced the world so well described and theorized by Edward T. Hall. Let's combine haptics with another hidden dimension of proxemics. This dimension is vocalics. Vocalics is the study of paralanguage, which includes the vocal qualities that go along with verbal messages, such as pitch, volume, rate vocal quality, and verbal fillers. These are hidden because they are so taken for granted. For example, if someone sends you a text in all caps, it may create a little anxiety, just because all caps in an age of texting equates with yelling. This is paralanguage. It is not so much the content or message. It is how it is said how it is communicated. When your friend whispers to you, there is a sense that this message is shrouded in mystery. It is a secret. And what whispering means, and when it is appropriate, is culturally specific. 
it is linked to cultural values, norms, and forms of social control. Whispering creates its own sign system. Okay, here's an experiment for you. Ask your friend to say, Oh, right! as a surprise or exclamation, as I just did. And then ask them to say the same phrase as sarcasm. Oh, right. And then ask them to explain the difference in their sound and use of voice between exclamation and sarcasm. It is going to be really hard for them to do this. Why? Because... Like other aspects of proxemics, vocalics are hidden signs. These hidden signs make communication possible. They enable symbolic interaction. And therefore, they are an important resource for understanding, meaning, and marketing strategies. The last dimension of proxemics that I want to discuss in this episode is called chronemics. Chronemics is time orientation, or a taken-for-granted awareness of time perception and time flow. Across cultures, people perceive the passage of time differently. Since the Industrial Revolution, North American and European cultures have adopted a monochronic time system. This is a linear conception of time. Things are done one at a time, and time is segmented into small, precise units. Here, schedules in your calendar tend to dominate life. Edward T. Hall said that in monochronic cultures, time is tangible and viewed as a commodity. Just think of the phrases, my time, your time, time is money, or time is wasted. Because time is commodified by a monochronic orientation, it also tends to accelerate. Hear the question, can I get more done in the same period of time? Becomes relevant. One of my favorite social theorists, Ben Auger, edits a journal entitled Fast Capitalism. If we can get more done in a shorter period of time, time becomes more valuable. And capitalism is all about finding ways of adding value. So everything is speeding up. Everything is accelerating. And there are now hundreds of brands designed to help us better adapt to this acceleration. Brands offering better focus, cognitive boost, improved memory, brain energizers, new forms of technology, and so on. Hey. Are you sleeping behind? Try Bulletproof Coffee. You will be able to work longer and faster with better focus. There's got to be a limit to this. Yes? In 2004, Carl Honor wrote a book entitled In Praise of Slowness. In this book, Honor writes... It is a cultural revolution against the notion that faster is always better. The slow philosophy is not about doing everything at a snail's pace. It's about seeking to do everything at the right speed, savoring the hours and minutes rather than just counting them. 
doing everything as well as possible instead of as fast as possible. It's about quality over quantity in everything from work to food to parenting. This book started the slow movement as a way of rebelling against monochronic time systems. Slow fashion, slow food. I have a book in my office entitled The Slow Professor. People are tired of rushing, tired of the rat race. Stop the world. I want to get off. Note that monochronic time is a cultural force that shapes bodies, the way we move through society, interact with each other, engage our institutions, and how we perceive meaning and a life well lived. At the same time, we are not fully aware of the historical roots of this time system. Clock time became important in the new factories of the Industrial Revolution. It was essential for the smooth functioning of a complex industrial society in which the actions of large groups needed to be coordinated. Shops, businesses, offices, railways, airlines, and traffic flows needed to operate on the same time schedule. Again, we see that cultural forces shape science systems, and that these science systems appear natural and inevitable. So, over time, they blend into the background and disappear. They become hidden signs. Okay, here's an interesting question. If these cultural forces are hidden, how do we discover them? In the next episode, I'm going to discuss one possible strategy that can be used to uncover and explore this hidden world. This is the engaging method, ethnography. I hope that you enjoyed this episode on movement. This is Hidden Signs. My name is Jeff Murray. Special thanks to Seth Murray for composing original music for this podcast. Thank you for listening.